And we are going to be in John chapter 7, verses 40 through 52. Just a little brief intro of myself. You know, my, my wife and I, Kendra, we have been coming to Substance since February of 2016. It was when our church closed in Oberlin that we began to come here uh, through our contact with Ronnie and Jeff. Uh, and it has been a journey. It's been a great journey. And uh, um, anyway, it's just been neat to see how the Lord has used Substance Church in our lives. Um, when we came here, by the way, uh, our children were much younger. So my 18-year-old was an, an 11-year-old. Uh, my almost 16-year-old was nine years old. My 12-year-old was five years old. And Lauren, our youngest, was two or three years old, something like that. And so in good fashion, what, what ended up happening was Kendra and I, we love to talk, right? And so and if you ask us if we are parents that know where our kids are, we will tell you no. We, we don't know where they're at. So it just happened to be that on that Sunday morning, and I think it was one of the first Sunday mornings that we visited Substance, a complete stranger came up to us with our daughter Lauren and said, excuse me, is this your child? <laughs> and here we come to find out that this complete stranger was yelling her name as Lauren, little Lauren went out the door, that front door, started heading down South Street. Thankfully, she had a name tag on the back of her back that said, Lauren Petrus. So then she finally tracked down us, her parents, her neglecting parents. <laughs> and anyway, we had, uh, we were very thankful that she did not go down Center Street. So anyway, um, that has nothing to do with the sermon at all. I just wanted to let you know that. Okay. So our text this morning is the result of what happened in John chapter 7, verses 1 through 39. In verses 38 through 39, Jesus has just finished crying out to the multitudes at the end of the feast in the temple courts that he is the only one who can satisfy them. In one scandalous statement, he declares that he is the rock that sustains and satisfies anyone who would receive him while simultaneously promising his life-giving spirit to live through his believers by the Holy Spirit. In the midst of the feast, the guards were sent by the Pharisees, and they were looking for an opportunity to arrest Jesus and bring him to trial for his blasphemy. What blasphemy? The claim that he was God. The crowd was tempted to seize Jesus, and make him their king for their own political gain. Some thought he was a good man. Others thought he was the prophet like Moses. And others thought he was the Messiah. Now what is the response of the crowd after Jesus makes this stunning announcement of salvation? Do the multitudes of people fall on their faces and cry to him and ask him for forgiveness? Do the thousands gathered bow down and worship to Jesus, the living God? Well, let's pick up 
in John chapter seven, verses 40 through 52. We uh, preach out of the ESV, so if you have a device, you can do that. I think there's some Bibles back there as well as a gift to you. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him? The officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But the crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus who had gone to him before and who was one of them said to them, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. This is God's word. What is it about Jesus that brings about division and rejection. For me, the way my testimony goes, my story of grace goes, is that I grew up in a Roman Catholic home. A very Roman Catholic home. To the point that when the Lord rescued me and brought me out of the Roman Catholic faith, my whole family thought I joined a cult. It got to the point where my dad was done talking about religion because I was the kind of believer at the age of 22, I was in darkness, I was in sin, and I had been set free by the love of Christ Jesus. So I wanted to tell everybody, I wanted to tell my family. But as soon as I started opening my mouth and started talking about it to my mom, I right away took her to John chapter three and said, mom, look, you have to be born again in order to enter into the kingdom of heaven. No, that doesn't say that. So constantly with these conversations that we were having, what ended up happening was my dad said, no more, no more, I'm done. I'm done with you talking about your religion in this house. So all I could do was go into my room, a very small room at that time, and pray and read my Bible. That was it. I experienced division immediately. Some of you, that's not your story. But others of you can relate. So what is it about Jesus that brings about division and rejection? Why? The answer is found in the guard's response to the Sanhedrin, verse 46. No one ever spoke like this man. In other words, Jesus, he's not like other men. John told us this right from the start of the gospel. John chapter one, verse one. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. 
And the word was God. That would have been odd to hear for a Jew. Jesus' words and presence caused division and rejection coupled with their own unbelief and ignorance. So here's the big idea. And if you're visiting Substance, great. It's great to have you. We preach out of the book of the Bible. We preach out of books of the Bible. And it just so happens that this passage talks about division and rejection. So welcome to Substance. Jesus brings division and rejection into our lives because of unbelief and ignorance. So how should we respond? I wanna ask you two sobering questions, two important questions regarding the reality of following Jesus. In following Jesus, are you, are we ready to face division because of ignorance and unbelief? The second question is, in following Jesus, are we ready to experience rejection because of ignorance and unbelief? The first question, in following Jesus, are we ready to face division because of ignorance and unbelief? The people were at odds over who Jesus was and where he was from. Look with me there in verses 40 through 41. When they heard these words, what Jesus declared of himself, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? One part of the crowd thought Jesus was really the prophet that Moses promised would come in Deuteronomy 18.15. This would have been some 1,500 years before Jesus would even set foot on the earth in physical form. When this part of the crowd heard Jesus cry out his proclamation to be satisfied in him that he was the fountain of living water, their minds quickly reverted back to the stories of Moses in the wilderness when he struck the rock to provide water for God's people to live. In Exodus 17:6 and Numbers 20:11. There was also another part of the crowd in the temple courts who saw him as the Christ or the Messiah. Another way of saying it is the promised one to come to deliver them. Their rescuer from Roman rule and that he would be the one to set them free. Free in the way they thought they would be free. What they did not know was that Jesus was both the prophet and the Messiah and the suffering servant. The Messiah to suffer had no clue. They did not equate them. And some questioned where he was from. Verse 42, has not the scripture said that Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? These people, will, these people were so sure of themselves, they knew their Old Testament and what it said but what they did not know was that Jesus was born in Bethlehem and was raised as a Galilean in a town called Nazareth and not a town 
that had a good reputation at all in Matthew 2, 21 through 23. So what was the outcome of all these opinions about Jesus? In verses 43 through 44, it says in verse 44, so there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. You know, the same thing that happened over 2,000 years ago is still happening today, isn't it? People are divided over who Jesus is. Some people believe that he was a prophet. Read the Quran. They believe he was a prophet. Others, a good moral teacher. Others believe he was a good man and that he did a lot of good. Listen, division will happen in following Jesus. So let's pause and let's think about this. How does Jesus bring division into our lives? There's a division of relationships that we experience. Those closest to us disagree with us who Jesus really is and what he did and is doing. If I was a fly at one of your holiday meetings and you began to share Jesus, well, well, that's your opinion. That's your truth. You hang on to it. We can find it difficult to talk about Jesus. Non-believing family members label us religious or very spiritual. Friends and family of ours might consider us odd or we share as we share our love and desire for them to know Jesus. You know this. You feel it. The pressures of the culture at work, at school, in your own home, on social media. You start sharing about your weekend with your neighbors and maybe you even take that step and you invite them to church. And then all of a sudden, you feel an awkward division. I know what that feels like. A few years ago, an old friend of mine, who was an old drinking buddy of mine in my 20s, called me to talk about a mutual friend of ours that had passed away. Tragically, he committed suicide. He was bipolar and he was treating his disease by self-medicating. So he drank himself to death. And my friend who called me up was really struggling with her old friend's death. And this led him to ask him, to ask me about my faith. So I humbly shared about the hope that he could have in Jesus. Man, I'd love, I would love to say that he believed in Jesus that day. But instead, he asked sarcastically, do you really believe in that crap? And I answered with all my heart, with all my life, I believe it.
Nothing but silence and division on that phone call. A year later, my friend passed away from that conversation. A year later after that conversation, he passed away from liver disease due to drinking himself to death. And I was invited by his family to pray at his funeral. See, Jesus himself said, and I know this is gonna be hard for you to hear, but these are his words, that we would as his followers face division. Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 and 35 says this, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Jesus brings division. Why? R. Kent Hughes says in his commentary, Christ did not want to bring division. But because of the sinfulness of our hearts, because of our fallenness, because of our unwillingness to repent and bow to him, the prince of peace is Christ the divider. Jesus just doesn't bring division to our relationships. He goes even deeper. He goes to our hearts. Jesus brings division in our expectations. And where do those expectations start? They start in the heart. And I don't mean your physical heart that's pumping. I mean in the Hebraic sense, your mind, your will, your affections. What do you expect in following Jesus? Be honest. Maybe you grew up in a home where perfection and performance were key and demanded of you. And you expected Jesus to demand of you the same thing. But now in following Jesus, you are learning that he is more gracious, that he is more kind, more patient, and more loving, and that you are secure because of what he has done and who he is and not what you have done or will do. Maybe you expected Jesus to make your life easier, more comfortable, just believe it, and you, your life will turn out well. But instead, you found your life harder and more difficult. I get it. I've been there. There are people here that have been there. Life is hard. Listen, the same God who wounds is the same God who heals. It's the same God who allows pain and difficulty in your life. The same God who brings division in your family is the same God who heals that pain in his timing and in his way. When our kids were younger, they would come to us any time of the day. If they scraped their knee or something like that, they would ask for a Band-Aid. 
mom, dad, can you get me a Band-Aid? And they would stick out their finger and they'd go, boo-boo. And we'd look down at it and we'd go, where? Where's your (laughs) boo-boo? Okay, all right, we'll get you a Band-Aid. They put on the Band-Aid. What do they do? They go back to playing and they're like, oh my gosh, this is so great. And then the Band-Aid falls off, right? Sometimes we can treat Jesus like a Band-Aid. Where when we're hurting, when we're having a hard time, a difficult day, Jesus, be my Band-Aid. I need healing. That's great. But then we go off and everything's great. Everything's wonderful. And then we forget about Jesus. Jesus wants to go so much deeper. He wants to blow your mind of the expectations that you have of him. There's a saying in the the Chosen special that says, get used to different. That's what Jesus is calling us to do. Get used to different. It's not the same old, same old. No, he wants to change you. He just doesn't want to save you from your circumstances. He wants to save you from you. Maybe you are here and you're just feeling out this Christianity thing. And we're glad you're here. The crowd expected a rescuer that would set them free from political rule. That's what they expected. See, Jesus came to rule in a different way, not in the way that they expected, but the best way, the most perfect way. He came to rule their hearts. And his throne would not be an earthly one. No, no, no. His throne would be the cross. And then three days later, he rose from the dead to conquer the grave, to conquer death, in order to rescue helpless sinners like you and me. Embrace him. He is dividing your heart right now because he wants your heart. He doesn't want your religion. He wants your heart. Following Jesus will lead to division and rejection because of unbelief and ignorance. Second point here is in following Jesus, are we ready to experience rejection because of ignorance and unbelief? Look with me there in verse 45. Verse 45. The officers, temple guards, they came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him? The officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. Now we have to understand that these guards were not your bloodthirsty mercenaries, okay? They were not hired to snipe out Jesus. Their only agenda was to capture Jesus. See, these temple guards were that. They were temple guards who were an extension of the priests who were ordained by God to care for the temple and the people. They were trained in the scriptures. 
and knew them well and were very aware of the claim that Jesus was making. So when they came back empty-handed, it was not because they were a bunch of cowards who could not get the job done. These men were stopped in their tracks. They're listening to his teaching. And they're saying to themselves, no one ever spoke like this man. Do you believe that Jesus was like no other man? Maybe you believe that he was just a good teacher. Maybe you believe that he was a man of high morals that you could possibly never reach. See, Jesus claims this in the Gospel of John, as we're going to see later. Jesus claims to exist forever and that he is God himself, the great I am. In John chapter 8, verse 58, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus claims to be the good shepherd who lays down his life for those who believe in him. John chapter 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for who? The sheep. Jesus claims later to be the only way to the Father apart from him. There is no other way. And that is not a popular message these days. John 14, 6 says, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. The reason why Jesus spoke as he did is because he was more than just a man. He was fully man and fully God. And what did the temple guards' response bring them? Rejection. Look with me there. In verses 47 through 49, the Pharisees answered them and mocked them, basically. Like, I can't believe you're telling me this. Have you also been deceived, they said? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. See, the religious leaders of the day just thought they were so far above the crowd, so holy, so righteous, so pure. Do you see the irony? If anyone should have realized that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one, the deliverer, it should have been them. They were considered wiser than the guards of the people. Matthew eleven twenty five says this. I love this. The Father has hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children because it was the Father's gracious will. These guards weren't believers by any stretch of the imagination, but something was stirring in their hearts and they found themselves rejected just for that. Rejection is a reality of following Jesus. There will always be people in your lives, in our lives, who are more knowledgeable, more educated, more wealthy, 
More people who think that they have their life all figured out. But listen, unless the Father reveals the truth about who Jesus is to them and their need for him, they're not going to believe. Now, no one likes to be rejected. I mean, I don't wake up in the morning and go, man, I can't wait to be rejected. Do you? No. It is so contrary to our nature. We want to be people pleasers. Even if we say, I'm not a people pleaser. We still want to be people pleasers. (laughs) We don't wake up in the morning and think, boy, what a great day to be rejected. Let's be honest. Sometimes people reject us of our faith because, man, we just go in there like a bull in a china shop. (laughs) We can sometimes share too much and leave people looking like they just got ran over by a truck. Or other times we don't really know what to share and we're kind of bumbling over our words and then they're kind of like, uh, did you even understand me? I had this situation when I was church planning. Pastor in church in Oberlin, I was having a conversation with a lady at the Oberlin Inn and she began to share a little bit about her story with me and then I just gave her the whole shebang gospel and she looked at me and went, okay, well, have a nice day. I've learned over time that the best way to tell someone about Jesus is to shut up. (laughs) It's to listen. And then pray as you're listening. And then listen some more. And pray some more. And then ask questions. We can't make anyone believe. That is the Spirit's job. And the last time I checked, it's his kindness that leads people to repentance and faith in him. Look, here's the thing about rejection, right? Have you thought about this? People need time. People need time. I'm going to guess that it took in your own time, in your own life, time to believe in Jesus. It just didn't happen overnight. There were things that took place. There were questions that you had. Well, same for others. It takes time for others to believe in Jesus. And here's the thing. We just have no clue what God is doing in the hearts of people around us. As John Piper says, God is doing 10,000 more things than we could possibly realize. That he's doing all kinds of heart surgery that he's up to in their lives. Look, some of you have family members that you have been praying for for years and they still haven't trusted Christ. Don't stop praying for them. 
God will change their hearts in his timing and in his way. Don't stop. You might say, well, I'm not rejecting anyone. I'm not being rejected by anyone. I don't feel rejected. Maybe you have given up on that family member or that friend or that classmate that needs Jesus Christ. And you've just stopped praying. Don't stop. Look for those gospel communications, those gospel conversations, and wait and pray some more. And then join God in his work. Do you remember Nicodemus? The Pharisee who visited Jesus at night in chapter three? Here is where we begin to see the gospel beginning to work in his heart. Verse 50. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from from Galilee. It was insulting to even think that the prophet would arise from Galilee. Nicodemus, who was one of them, was quickly accused of taking sides. Nicodemus suddenly found himself rejected by his very own colleagues. This might happen to you when you're at work and you mention the word Jesus or something like that and all of a sudden it's like you're talking about your weekend and you talk about Jesus. Hey, I went to church, it was great. And all of a sudden you see that person go, okay, Right? Or there's just no, no, no talking. It's just awkward silence. And here's Nicodemus finding himself rejected by his very own colleagues. Now we really don't know for sure if Nicodemus believed in Jesus at this point. But my point is this. We can quickly find ourselves rejected even as we take small steps of courage. I had to take small steps of courage when I was church planning in Oberlin. Going to the library, trying to get some kind of study into the library, they said, no, we don't accept those kind of studies here. But they accepted the paranormal and everything else but they would not let us into their library to have a book study, not even the Bible, but a book study. See, we live in a time where it is okay to mention God in prayer, feeding the poor, helping those who are in need, but as soon as we mention the word Jesus in some circles, we are considered narrow-minded, old-fashioned and irrelevant to the world as we know it. The opposite of rejection is giving grace, right? The best story that I know of that I can think of illustrates this is the prodigal son. 
and the generous father. The prodigal son is coming back. He's rehearsing in his head of how he needs to ask for forgiveness. He's coming back to the father. The father sees him and he runs to him and he wraps his arms around him. He doesn't run to him and go up, wait up, wait up. You took the inheritance that you were supposed to have later on and now I'm mad at you and I'm rejecting you. No, he doesn't reject him. He embraces him. He hugs him. He loves him. He's glad that he's home. That is what God wants to see in our homes, in the people that we meet with who don't know Christ, who do know Christ. Show them grace. Give them time. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Christ. It's his kindness that leads you to repentance. Not an argument to convince you, as helpful as those are. Let us, by God's grace, show them Jesus. Show them grace in our homes. Students, in your dorm rooms, in the local coffee shops, in restaurants, let's show them Jesus. Not fearing man, but having a holy reverence for God. See, Jesus is more than just a man. He gave his life as a perfect and final sacrifice for our sin by willingly dying on the cross for our sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I opened up by sharing with you a story about how I experienced division in my family. That my dad did not want to have anything to do with Christianity. Nothing to do with the gospel, nothing to do with Jesus. But praise God, after a year, after the Lord rescued me, he began to see changes in my life, that this wasn't a fad that I was going through, that this was real change, that this was real transformation. He also saw me come back from church with a smile on my face. Growing up in the Catholic church, we, had, we didn't have a smile on our face. Nothing against Catholics. But for me, it was cattle moving in and cattle moving out. So a year later, my dad is asking me questions about Jesus. Why did Jesus die on the cross? And for the longest time, my dad thought he just gave up. That's why he died on the cross, but what he didn't know was the other part of the story, that three days later he rose again to give him new life. It wasn't but 14 years later through a godly man that I served with 
as pastoring at Oberlin, came alongside my dad in a hospital room, took steps of courage, shared the gospel with my dad, and he entered the kingdom of heaven that day. And then I got to pastor my dad. And then after our church closed, I got to baptize him. I can't say that it's gonna be the same story for you. But that is what happened in my life. See, Jesus causes division and rejection in our lives so that others may know and follow him. This morning, we're gonna be celebrating communion. And this communion table reminds us of the the price that Christ paid for us in order to give us courage and humility, to face division and rejection in our own lives. The Father himself turned his back, rejected his own son, turned his back on Jesus when he was dying on the cross so that he would never, ever turn his back on us, no matter what happens. Jesus said, behold, I am with you always. If you have not embraced Christ, if you have not trusted in him, yet you might be sensing some division going on in your heart. Hey, this isn't the Jesus that I learned about growing up. We ask that you just remain in your seats and think about that and pray about it. And then if you decide that you want to follow Jesus, then the next time we have communion, we welcome you to the table. But for now, just remain in your seats. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and said to his disciples, take this and eat of it. This is my body that is broken for you. And man, what his disciples were about to face after that night was division and rejection all over. He said, take this, eat of it. This is my body broken for you. Then he took the cup and he said, this is my blood, a new covenant, my blood that has been poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Take and drink of it and do this in remembrance of me. I'm gonna pray and as the ushers come up while I'm praying, as well as the worship team, Before I do that though, again, how we wanna do this is when you're coming up, come up through the main aisle here, come around, grab the elements and go back to your seats. In the back, it gets even more clogged. So as you're taking the communion, step out the exit door, come back around if you're sitting over in that area. If you're sitting over in this area, come back around that way, okay? And just be patient with one another as you're doing it. So, all right, let me pray.
Father, God, you are a good God and thank you, Lord, that yes, we will face division. Yes, we will face rejection. But you are bigger than our division. You are bigger than our rejection. Whether it goes on physically, whether it goes on in our own hearts, thank you, Lord, that you rejected your son so that we would never be rejected by you. Thank you, Lord, that we don't come to this table because of what we've done or how we've failed. We come because you have made a way through Christ, our Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.